Hey everybody, this is Chad Harms, the pastor of Creekside Bible Church. Thanks for taking some time to listen to my latest sermon, a sermon about the gospel, especially as it is talked about at the beginning of the book of Romans. It will play in just a minute, but before it does, I want to talk to you about something. Like for every other church, the last seven or eight months has been filled with a lot of challenges for us. And one of the unique difficulties for us and churches like ours is that we're a mobile church that normally meets in a school and that school has not been available to us for obvious reasons. And so we have had to scramble to find places to uh, do church from. This year I've preached my sermons for our Sunday service from five different locations. I did it at the school before everything was shut down. I did it at another church's offices for a little while. Thank you, Grace Chapel, for being so gracious to us. I preached from our church property. I preached from home. And uh, just last Sunday, I preached from the building that we're going to be using for the next three months, which leads me to the thing I want to talk to you about. After searching near and far, high and low, we have been blessed with the full-time 24-7 use of a church building that was sitting unused and has been sitting unused for several months. Why am I telling you this? First, I want to publicly thank God for this incredible blessing. We were running out of options and we didn't know what we were going to do when the weather turned bad because we had been meeting outside and God has really blessed us and answered our prayers in allowing us to use this building. The second reason I'm telling you this is that we would love to see you at one of our services. If you're interested in coming to one of our services, you can go to creekside.me slash church, creekside.me slash church, and there you'll be able to register for a service, plus learn about how our services are going to look and what we're doing to make them safe. The last reason I'm telling you this is that it's a unique opportunity for us as a church to have a permanent space, at least a temporary permanent space. And that has our minds and hearts just dreaming about the things that we can do. And so we are working on some special content that we would not otherwise be able to produce. And I really want to make sure that you have an opportunity to watch and listen to the content that we produce when it comes out. And so the best way to make sure that you stay in the know is to subscribe to our newsletter. And you can do that by going to creekside.me slash sign up. That's creekside.me slash sign up. But I would also encourage you to like, follow, subscribe, whatever it may be on the different social media platforms. We're especially active on YouTube and Instagram and Facebook, and we would love to connect with you there. And if you connect with us, then you will be in the know when we produce and send out new content, some of that new content that we're excited about. Again, thanks for taking time to listen to this sermon. I hope that it will help you to learn and live more fully for the glory of God. Good morning, everybody. I'm Chad, the pastor of Creekside. Uh, Welcome to our service again this morning. There's this verse in the Bible, and it's written to a young pastor. Uh, A lot of people still think I'm a young pastor. And the verse says, do the work of an evangelist. Uh, An evangelist is somebody who shares the gospel with others. And later, I'm going to to explain in detail what the gospel is. Um, But for now, let me just say that this is a convicting verse for me and something that I've thought about a lot recently. Uh, I want to be more of an evangelist. I want Uh, Just to talk about Jesus more in my conversation, I want to make 
just sharing Jesus with people a regular part of my life. Um, and perhaps as I say this, you, you can kind of see where the sermon is going. You can uh, feel a tension rise in you because the idea of evangelism is uh, something that is scary to a lot of people. The idea of sharing the gospel is one that induces some level of anxiety in a lot of people. And, and if you're not a Christian, that anxiety is raised primarily because you don't want anybody to share the gospel with you. That feels uncomfortable. That feels difficult. That feels like it's going to be awkward. But if you're a Christian, then it, then it scares you. It brings some level of dread into your, your emotions because, because it's just scary to have to tell somebody uh, about Jesus. Um, I know this in part because we, we did this class uh, several years ago. It was on a book called Tell Someone. It was really about just sharing the gospel with people. And, and hardly anybody showed up to be part of that Tell Someone class. And that's one of the reasons that I know that sharing the gospel, talking to people about Jesus can be really scary. Today we're going to look at the second passage in the book of Romans, a letter to a group of Christians in Rome, written by an early Christian evangelist, missionary, uh, preacher, apostle named Paul. And in the passage we're going to look at today, what we're going to find out about Paul is that Paul is desperate to see people come to Jesus, and, and because of that he is desperate to share the gospel with others. In fact, he's so desperate that it makes him desperate to be with these people, and he's actually prevented from doing so when he writes this letter. And so I think on uh, one level we can really connect with Paul in this passage of Scripture, and, and that is on this level. We know what it feels like right now more than ever to, to want to be with people, to be desperate to see people. But on the other level, I think we really struggle to connect with Paul here because in this passage it's going to tell us that he is desperate to see these people in order that he might preach the gospel to them. And I think that hardly any of us feel desperate to get to people in order that we might share the story of Jesus with them. Uh, the message of Romans uh, says this, Paul had just as many reasons to feel reluctant or embarrassed as we do about preaching the gospel. Rome was the symbol of imperial pride and power. Who was this fellow, Paul, who wanted to visit the capital city, not as a tourist, but as an evangelist, and who believed he had something to say which Rome needed to listen to. The same book says that it's traditional that Paul was an ugly man and not a great communicator. I don't know if that's true. Nobody knows if that's true, really. But, but, but I say it because, because Paul had just as many reasons to be fearful of, of telling people about Jesus as we do. In fact, he had more reasons to be fearful about preaching the gospel than we do because he was facing genuine persecution. But instead of fearing, he was eager to do it. And in the passage we're going to look at today, we really see the reasons why Paul was so desperate to preach the gospel. Why Paul was, was not just desperate to do it, but eager to do it, excited to do it. He wanted to share the gospel with people. That's what we're going to see in this passage today. And it's going to boil down to this one simple idea. It's great to give the gospel. It's great to give the gospel. I know that's a little funny uh, in how I phrased it, but I think it'll make sense more as we go through the passage. And here's how it starts in Romans 1.8. First, 
I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is being reported all over the world. Paul says here as he kind of begins the body of this letter called Romans, he says to the people in Rome that their faith is being reported all over the world. And we don't know if that's because their faith was particularly strong or particularly good, that they were living in a uh, particularly godly way, or if it's just the fact that Rome was kind of the center of idolatry in, for the Romans. And, and, and so like it's a big deal that there's people there at all who have embraced the gospel of Jesus, who have, who have believed the story of Jesus. But either way, Paul is thankful for their faith. And I would just pause and say that, that your faith, whether you know it or not, whether you think about it or not, is being paid attention to, maybe by your neighbor, maybe by your kids, maybe by uh, your parents, maybe by your coworkers. They are paying attention to your faith. And I would hope that, that when they pay attention to your faith, they they find it to be true and real and genuine. They find you to be doing your best to live the way that Jesus wants. But here's how Paul continues in verses 9 and 10. God, whom I serve in my spirit, is in preaching the gospel of his son, is my witness on how I constantly remember you in my prayers at all times. And I pray that now at last, by God's will, the way may be opened for me to come to you. If you missed last week's sermon, let me just summarize it for you. This was the big statement of the day. The gospel is good news. And here in these verses, Paul remembers that the gospel is the good news of Jesus. He says that here, the gospel of his son, that is Jesus. But it's important that we remember that the gospel is good news. At its very core, it is good news. I think we can we can make the gospel uh, not as good by convoluting it with the theological nuances and our own desire for growth and a lot of different questions. And all of those things are important. All those things are things that, that I uh, have held uh, very important in my own life. You know, theological nuances and a desire for growth and asking hard questions of the Bible and trying to find their answers. But sometimes because of them, we can forget how good the good news is of the gospel story. Let me just remind you of what that gospel is. The gospel is the story that we all people are sinners we have turned our backs on God. We have rejected God. We have done things that were disobedient to God. And instead of condemning us to hell, God looked down from heaven and he said, I'm going to come down there in the person of Jesus and I'm going to save those people. I'm going to offer salvation to those people for their sins. And so Jesus came, he lived perfectly. And at the end of that perfect life, he suffered and died on a cross and where he paid the punishment for all of our sins, the, the punishment, the condemnation, the hell that we deserved and then three days later, he, he came back from the dead, conquering sin and death for all people who would place their faith in him. That's good, right? I mean, there's sad parts of that story that Jesus had to suffer and die, that we're sinners. But at the end of the story, it has a happy ending. It is good news. Jesus offered all people salvation. All we have to do is place our faith in him. And so the first reason that it's great to give the gospel is, is simply that, that the gospel is good news. Now, if you know me well, you might know that there's this, I think this thing that's particularly quirky about me, and that is that I am the worst secret keeper of things that are good. If you tell me a problem in your life, nobody will ever know. I'll take it to my grave with you. And, and partly because I don't feel a need to gossip about you or tell other things or anything like that. 
But if you tell me something good, it's probably not going to stay with me. I have accidentally announced uh, the birth of babies to people's parents, you know, and things like that. Because when I know something good, I, I just naturally just want to share it with everybody. I know I just want to share the good news that I have in me with other people. It drives me nuts to hold on to good news. And I think that, that this, this should be part of how we think about sharing the gospel. It's such good news that, that just our desire should be just to like, just to share it with people, just to blurt it out, just to let people know that we know something that is so, so good. Now with that in mind, so that's the first reason it's great to give the gospel. With that in mind, notice a couple other things that Paul says here. In this first uh, part of the book of Romans, he says that he serves God by preaching the gospel. What I think makes this, this idea really important that he serves God by preaching the gospel is that the Greek word that translates serve is actually a word that contextually refers to, at least in part, worship. Uh, here's how it's defined. To render service to God, especially with reference to sacrifice, hence to worship. Paul says that I sacrificially serve God, I worship God through the preaching of the gospel. This word's especially interesting to me because if you went back to the Old Testament, the second commandment in the Ten Commandments, which I think you've all heard of, the second commandment says that you should not serve other gods. And the clear meaning there is that you should not worship other gods besides the real God. Uh, when the Jewish people are asking Pharaoh to go out into the wilderness in the book of Exodus, they say they want to go out into the wilderness. Why? Because they want to, same word in the Greek version of the Old Testament, they want to serve God or they want to worship God in the wilderness. So they're, they're looking at Pharaoh, the leader of Egypt, and saying, let us go out into the wilderness in order that we might, same Greek word in the Greek translation of the Old Testament, we might worship God. It's always focused on the vertical aspect of worshiping God. The plain word for serve, you could just serve a person. But here, this word refers to serving God through our service, maybe to other people. And Paul intensifies this idea, I think, by saying, by adding, in my spirit, I serve God. Not just in my words, not just with my mouth, not just in showing up and being a missionary in different places, but actually in my spirit I serve God through preaching the gospel. That's a big idea because it furthers the idea that this, ready? That the preaching of the gospel, the giving of the gospel is in and of itself a worshipful thing to do. We worship God when we share the gospel, when we give the gospel to other people. It isn't just that we want uh, a lost world to, to maybe uh, accept Jesus as their savior, to, uh, to become Christians because they get an eternity in heaven or something like that. It's, it's, it's more than that. It's that when we tell people about the story of Jesus in our very spirits, we are lifting our worship to God, and that is the second reason that it is great to give the gospel. Now, it's also important here to notice that, that Paul, uh, he says, I'm praying for you guys. And, and one of the things that's so clear in the writings of Paul is that for him, preaching and praying go together. Preaching and praying go together. 
I'm going to make the case that we should all give the gospel to others in just a few minutes. But before I make that case, I want to make clear here that I believe our willingness and our effectiveness in giving the gospel is, is intimately connected to our prayers. If we're not going to pray, then we're not going to be willing to give the gospel. And it's not going to be very effective when we do. And here's what Paul's praying specifically, that he'll be able to go to Rome. Uh, I think uh, 30 seconds of background is really important. Most of Paul's letters in the New Testament are written to churches that he's planted or at least done significant ministry in. Uh, But Paul has not been to Rome. He did not plant the churches in Rome. He's not done ministry to these people. And so with that in mind here, listen to how Paul uh, is praying. This is what he's praying for. He says, I long to see you so that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to make you strong. That is that you and I may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. This is why Paul wants to go to Rome. He's going to add to it in the next section of our passage, but in a general way, we must understand what he's saying here. When he says spiritual gifts, it's not the spiritual gifts that sometimes we think of in the New Testament, because when we think of spiritual gifts, most of the time we think of things like service and encouragement and and speaking in tongues comes to mind. But those spiritual gifts that Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians, for example, they always come from God, not from Paul, not from another person. And so here it's clear that Paul is not talking about spiritual gifts in the way that maybe if you're a Christian in church a lot, you think of spiritual gifts. Instead, Paul is talking about spiritual gifts in a generic sense to say, I want to impart some type of spiritual encouragement to you. I want to impart some kind of spiritual knowledge to you. I want to to help you grow in your faith. Now, just stop there and say, man, I, I think that the, the fact that Paul uses this general idea is really uh, encouraging to me because it reminds us that there's a variety of ways that we can give somebody a spiritual gift, that we can help people in their uh, spiritual growth. I mean, we can encourage people, we can inspire people, we can be an example to people, we can even rebuke people, and we can preach to people. And I would just pause here and just ask this question before we move on. What spiritual gift can you give to somebody right now? Not like, you know, when we can all get back together and life kind of gets back to normal or whatever. But what spiritual gift can you offer to somebody right now? Now listen to what Paul says next. He says, I do not want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, that I planned many times to come to you, but have been prevented from doing so until now in order that I might have a harvest among you. Just as I have had among the other Gentiles, I am obligated both to Greeks and non-Greeks, both to the wise and the foolish. That is why, notice this, pay attention, this is big. That is why I am so eager to preach the gospel also to you who are in Rome. He's eager to preach the gospel to those who are in Rome. Why? Well, first of all, because he might have a harvest among them, a harvest among them. That means he wants to bear fruit amongst them. Uh, In our passage today, really, Paul talks about that idea in three different ways. I mean, we've already seen he wants to give them a spiritual gift. We'll see another way he talks about it in just a second. But, but, but at the heart of all of it is that he wants to he wants to see fruit amongst these people because of the ministry that he is going 
to do with them. In other words, he wants to help them be stronger, to be encouraged in their faith. He wants to see them grow in their faith. He wants to see their faith developed. That is why he is desperate to get to Rome. That's why he's praying that God will allow him to come and see uh, these people. We'll find out later uh, that, that he didn't get there for for quite some time, and, and we'll see the, the reasons even in the book of Rome, but, but that's why he is desperate to get there. And then he says this thing that makes it all make sense. I mean, why does he need to have fruit among these people? Why is he desperate to help these people grow when there's all the people in the world? He says, I'm obligated to Greeks and non-Greeks, both to wise and foolish, to the wise and the foolish. Now, Commentators really wrestle with exactly what delineations or classifications Paul is trying to make in, in saying Greeks and non-Greeks, wise and, and foolish. But, but really what Paul is probably talking about is simply that he is obligated to do ministry to, to all the non-Jewish people, to the Gentiles, to say it in the way that Paul would have said it. He's obligated to Gentiles uh, just by uh, way of interest. Maybe um, Greeks and non-Greeks would be most likely people who speak Greek or don't speak Greek. And maybe he says wise and foolish because in in that century, in that world, in Rome, the people would have looked at the non-Greek speakers as less than wise and the Greek speakers as more wise. But, But Paul's overall point is really clear. Paul is obligated because he has been called by God, because he's been equipped by God to minister to all the Gentiles or at least as many Gentiles as he can possibly minister to. This was a God-ordained God called, God equipped uh, obligation that Paul had in his life. But this word, man, this word obligated is, is so important because it's more literally translated as I am a debtor. In other words, Paul says, I am in debt to Gentiles, to all Gentiles. Every person that's not a Jew, I am, I am in debt to them. Why? That's a weird, you know, phrase. That's a weird thing to say. And uh, I probably wouldn't have come to this understanding on my own, but man, this was really helpful. This, this one author I read pointed to the idea that there are two ways to become a debtor, to be in debt to someone. Uh, the first, we all know, uh, you know, most of us have done it at one point or another, is to borrow money from somebody, is to charge something on a credit card, to use somebody else's money. That's the first way to become in debt to somebody. But the second way to become in debt is probably what Paul has in mind here. And it is simply this, that somebody has given you money to give to somebody else. Somebody has given you money to give to somebody else. If I had $1,000 and I said, here's $1,000, but I need you to deliver it to uh, Bob down the road, then all of a sudden you are indebted to Bob. You have a debt that you owe Bob. You need to give him the money that has been given to you for him. And that is exactly the type of thinking that Paul has in mind here when he says he's in debt to all Gentiles. Paul has been given an incredible story called the gospel And he has been given it by God in order to share it, to give it to Gentile people. That is Paul's calling in life. And so therefore, until he has shared the gospel with as many people as possible, until he has given the gospel to as many Gentiles as possible, then Paul is in debt to those people because he is holding the greatest news the world has ever known. And it's not his, it's theirs because God has called it him to give it to them. 
And here's what the message of Romans, a great commentary on this uh, book of Romans, this letter of Romans says, similarly, we are debtors to the world even though we are not apostles. If the gospel has come to us, which it has, we have no liberty to keep it to ourselves. And it goes on to say, good news is for sharing. I did a whole series called Proclaims when we did that same Bible study called Tell Somebody. And you can listen to the sermons uh, at creeksidebiblechurch.org slash proclaim, creeksidebiblechurch.org slash proclaim. But there I, I talked about many of the verses that really show us that we are, as Christians, obligated. We are in debt to give the gospel to somebody else. God has given us the story of Jesus, the story that I have already told. But he hasn't just given it to us so that we might you know, partake of it and go to heaven and have a relationship with God and find forgiveness and all those things. Not just for that, but also so that we might Give it to somebody else. Let me read a few of those passages to you. Matthew 28, 18 through 20, the Great Commission. Jesus came to them, talking about the disciples, and as an extension, us, all, and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. To make a disciple is, is, is simply to share the gospel story with somebody and then, and then have them accepted and then, and then they begin to live their lives for Jesus too. And so there it is clear that we, we are indebted to a lost world. Romans 10, 13 through 15 says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Romans shows us that, that man, people are not going to accept the story of Jesus. They're not going to believe the story of Jesus and become Christians unless somebody tells them. And so as Christians, it is our job to give the gospel. Colossians 4, 5, and 6, be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. And then 1 Peter three fifteen. but in your hearts revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have, but do this with gentleness and respect. What is the answer? The answer for the hope that we have as Christians. If you're a Christian, what is the answer for the hope that you have? It's simply the gospel, the gospel. The third reason that it is great to give the gospel is, is because if we don't give the gospel, then we are holding on to something that we have been given in order to share. And therefore, we are not doing the right thing. To give the gospel is to pay off the debt that we have to a lost world. It is great to give the gospel. And this is why at the end of our passage, Paul says he's eager, he's eager to preach the gospel to them. I think it's really important, just a, a side note maybe, but a fourth reason, a side note, fourth reason that it's great to give the gospel is that Paul is writing to mainly Christians here. So part of the reason that, that it's good to preach the gospel is that the gospel doesn't just lead people to Christianity. The gospel also instructs people and helps them grow in their Christianity. 
uh, early when I was the pastor of our church and, you know, we had, uh, you know, 30-ish people show up on a Sunday morning, uh, it was really hard. There was no live stream then. Sometimes it was really hard for me to want to, to preach the gospel to people because I would look around and I would see like all Christians. I knew them. I knew their stories. I knew that they loved Jesus, that they had embraced the gospel. And so I, I, would, I would struggle in my sermons to, to want to, to share the gospel, the good news of Jesus with people. And at some point I just decided that was a bad idea, but uh, but I was wrong in, in that thinking because what Paul says here to this group of Christians in Rome is, is hey, I want to preach the gospel to you even though you already know the gospel, even though you've already embraced the gospel in order that you might grow in your faith, in order that I can help you spiritually, in order that you can be firmer in your faith, stronger in your faith, in order that you can move forward in your faith. The gospel doesn't just lead people into Christianity. The gospel instructs people in their Christianity and helps them grow in their Christianity. And I think sometimes we forget that. My encouragement in this is to, to say, first of all, it's great to give the gospel, but, but man, we should be sharing the gospel with each other when we're Christians. We should be talking about how incredible it is that Jesus came to earth to suffer and die for our sins. We sometimes act like once we've heard the gospel and embraced the gospel that we don't need to think about it or talk about it anymore. But man, more than the theological nuances, more than the questions, more than our own personal growth, more than looking at ourselves and looking at what's wrong or what's right, we should be looking at God always and telling each other about how great God is because of what he has done for us. It is great to give the gospel. The gospel is good. It is worship to give it. It is a gift for someone else when we give it. It, is, it helps Christians grow when we give it and it leads others to Christ. And all of these reasons mean that it is great to give the gospel. It's great to give the gospel. Now let me just pause really quickly and again say if you're not a Christian, I know that one of the things you probably think about us who are Christians is that we, we want to, as I've said it before, as people say, we want to shove our religion down your throat. Uh, we want to we wanna force our religion upon you. And that is, is not true. It is a, a tenet of Christianity. And as I said in that Proclaim series, uh, the fact that you think it's wrong to force a religion on somebody is actually, uh, is actually a Christian idea that comes from, from Jesus and from his early followers. Uh, we don't believe that we should force our religion on you. We don't, we don't want to force our religion on you. But, but as Christians, we ought to, to be eager to give you our gospel, to share our gospel with you, the good news of Jesus, because of all the reasons I've already said, and more. The gospel is such good news that if we truly love you, then, then it just doesn't make sense for us not to share it with you, for us not to want you to know it too. And so, so just I would hope that, you know, there may be Christians who want to shove their religion down your throat, who want to force you into Christianity, who are going to beat you over the head w with the story of Jesus. But, but for the most part, if a Christian wants to, to give you the gospel, if they want to tell you about Jesus, it's because they love you and they know that they hold on to something that they have been given to share to you, something that is such good news that it will change your life, not just here on earth, but for eternity. But Christians, for us, 
I would hope that we would recognize these things, that the gospel is good, that it's worship to give it, that it's a gift for someone else, that giving it grows Christians and leads others into a relationship with Christ. I would hope that, that simply this, that because of all of this, we would recognize that it's great to give the gospel, and then we'd, we'd want to give the gospel. And, and I know it's scary, right? Because I told you at the beginning that I'm trying to become a person who just more naturally talks about Jesus and the things that Jesus has done for my life. And I've been saying that in sermons for a while now, which shows you that it's, a, it's hard. It's a struggle. It's like you don't want to be seen as the guy shoving your religion down somebody's throat. You don't want to be seen as weird. I think we're a little too concerned with that, but uh, you don't want people to be offended. I, it's hard. We don't know if we'll be able to answer all the questions. There's so many reasons to be scared to, to preach the gospel, to give the gospel, but when we see all of these reasons, even if we're scared, even if you hear this sermon and you leave and you don't actually uh, do anything as far as you know talking to somebody about Jesus, I, I would hope that maybe by my words today, as we look at Paul's words that were inspired by God, that maybe you would just come to a place where at least you'd want to give the gospel to somebody else because of how great it is, even though it is scary. Here's what I think our view of evangelism should be more like. I think it should be more like, um, bring a, a prop in, uh, a car. No, I'm just kidding, not a car. I think it should be more like uh, the desire to get your driver's license. I, I don't know if you can remember far enough back to get your driver's license. This is my son Hudson's car. It kind of looks like uh, my 96 Mitsubishi uh, Eclipse, uh, which my wife knows now that she'll recognize my midlife crisis when I go out and buy another 96 Eclipse. Uh, it kind of looks like it a little bit, and so it's a perfect for this illustration. It's actually a Nissan, but... Um, but I think we should think of evangelism, giving the gospel, like getting your driver's license. And if you can go back in time in your head, uh, you can remember that there were two things that were probably true when you got your license. I know this isn't true for everybody, but it is true for, for those of us that value freedom. Uh, first, uh, you really, 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 really were excited to have your license. You wanted your license so bad. And the second thing is, taking that test was super scary. Uh, my buddy Justin, uh, hi Justin if you're watching, uh, teammate of mine, good friend of mine, guy that I grew up with, uh, he, I actually failed my driver's test once, uh, but Justin, I remember vividly, uh, he failed his driver's test two times. Sorry if you're listening, pal. Uh, he failed his driver's test two times, and uh, I think we had practice like the day after uh, that, that he went for his third time, and if you, I don't know if this is still the case, but when I was in high school, if you failed the third time, then you had to wait like a significant amount of time to take it again. It's like they were saying, you're just not good enough to be on the roads, and Justin came to practice after having passed and he told me, I'll never forget, he said, I was dry heaving into a garbage can because I was so scared to take the test the third time. You see the tension in Justin. He wanted his license so bad, so did I. I failed the first time, as I said, and I was so scared the second time. He wanted to get his license so bad, but it was such a scary thing to do. And because we had experienced some level of failure in our first effort, it made the second and third time even scarier, despite the fact that we were excited to get our licenses. That's exactly how I think maybe we should feel about giving the gospel to somebody else. 
we should be so excited to do it. We should want to do it because of all of the reasons that I've said this morning. But we should also recognize that sometimes it's a little scary. And if you've ever fallen on your face before, if you've ever totally flopped, not had the words, tried to share Jesus with somebody and it went nowhere, they totally rejected you, then maybe it got a little scarier. And maybe in that moment, you kind of just put it aside and said, I'm not going to try that again. But when we look at Paul's words here, that he was eager to share the gospel because he was in debt to the Gentile world, but he was in debt with the greatest news that had the power to change life. We, we could go, okay, I recognize that I'm scared, maybe more scared because I failed before, but man, I'm so excited for what the results are gonna be that I'm gonna get in the car and try again. It is great to share the gospel. It is great to give the gospel to others, even though sometimes it's a little scary. So be a person like Paul who recognizes why it is great and be eager, be excited for the opportunities that God will give you to give it. And then I would say, I would just finish with this. When God gives you an opportunity, take the test, try, because you're never gonna see the, the benefits if you don't. It is great to give the gospel. Let me pray that that will be true for you. Lord Jesus, it is scary uh, it is scary to share your gospel with people. And I, and I don't know why, Lord, um, uh, maybe because we live in a fallen world with, you know, a majority of people around us are uncomfortable with our sharing of the gospel. You know, a majority of people here in the Northwest reject your gospel outright, Lord, and we, we know that to be true. Um, I don't know all the reasons that it's scary. Maybe because, you know, Satan and our flesh, they just fight against it. But Lord, I pray as Christians that we would recognize that, God, we have an obligation to do it anyway. But Lord, we wouldn't just do it out of obligation, but we would recognize how great it is to give your gospel. And because of that, Lord, we would be excited for it. And I pray for every person who's watching online right now, even us who are here together, this small team, Lord. And I pray that you would just excite us to share the gospel, that we'd be eager to share the gospel, Lord. Whether we do it or not, you know, that'll come down to our courage in the moment. But I pray we would be excited and eager to do it, Lord, because we realize, we see in Paul's writings, we, we see in, in the way that you've changed our own lives, God, how great it is to give your gospel, Lord. And then I pray, Lord, when the moments arise and, and there's somebody standing in front of us asking us a question, asking us about the hope that we have, I pray, Lord, that in those moments you would then give us the courage to do it. God, for all the people who are listening online right now, who are watching online, God, I pray, Lord, that if, if they haven't embraced the gospel, that maybe you would take my words that I've just preached and, and God, you would use them to call people into Christianity. You would use them to call people uh, to be disciples, and it's, maybe you would just whisper in their ears right now that it's time for them, God, to give their lives to you. Maybe you would convict them of their sin. Maybe you would, uh, you know, make them fearful of what lies in eternity, and you would just, you would just call them into a relationship with you. And I pray, God, uh, however you do that, it would be so compelling, God, that they would say yes to you this morning and give, give themselves to you because they would recognize, Lord, uh, that they need you and that you've done an incredibly gracious and amazing thing for them. I ask these things all in your name, Jesus. Amen.